Hello and welcome to the Psalmcast, learning to pray with and through the word. It's good for us to be here. I'm Pastor Ollie. You know, my wife has been reading a really interesting book. It's called Holy Hugga by Jamie Erickson. And something Erickson has said in it really stuck with me. She writes about how we pop spiritual vitamins instead of reading the Bible because it's easy and doesn't require any real change of consumption from us. And that's been sticking with me because we are looking today at Psalm 62. And Psalm 62 demands a lot from us. Besides being a great prayer in itself, Psalm 62 begs us to ponder the person who prays this psalm. In fact, we can't even really talk about the words of Psalm 62 unless we ponder the person who is praying. And I think the more we dwell in this psalm, the more God invites and transfigures us to be a people of prayer modeled after his son, Jesus. So yeah, today we are not looking at a spiritual vitamin. We are looking at an experience, an encounter with the divine person of prayer that changes us into people who find refuge in God alone. So let's get straight into a reading of Psalm 62. To the leader, according to Jedithon, a Psalm of David. For God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress, I shall never be shaken. How long will you assail a person? Will you batter your victim, all of you, as you would lead a, a leaning wall, a tottering fence? Their only plan is to bring down a person of prominence. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. For God alone my soul waits in silence, for my hope is from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress, I shall not be shaken. On God rests my deliverance and my honor, my mighty rock, my refuge is in God. Trust in him at all times, O people, pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Those of low estate are but a breath, those of high estate are a delusion, in the balances they go up. They are together lighter than a breath. Put no confidence in extortion and set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, do not set your heart on them. Once God has spoken, twice have I heard this, that power belongs to God and steadfast love belongs to you, O Lord, for you repay to all according to their work. Let's think about the person who prays Psalm 62. To be able to speak that opening line, for God alone my soul waits in silence, you would have to be someone who has a deep confidence in God. You would have to be in touch with your soul, that deepest part of your personhood. And you'd have to be willing to wait for God alone, to not wait for anyone else, not a lover, not a politician, nobody but God. To get to a place where you can wait for nobody but God in silence requires a level of spiritual maturity. Because it's not just that the psalmist is waiting for God, it's waiting and knowing that from God is salvation. 
which is none other than our freedom from all our troubles. And I know that whoever is praying this psalm is spiritually mature because there is a paradox to this waiting that we see in the psalm. Because in this waiting, which implies that God isn't there or at least just isn't active or or known, yet the psalmist knows that God isn't distant. Therefore, the same poet who is waiting for God can say, He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall never be shaken. Even while we wait for God, we are in the fortress that is God himself. This is the mystery of prayer. We're begging for God, we're looking for God, and yet we already have God. But still, Psalm 62 invites us to ponder even deeper who it is that is praying this psalm, who is searching for God. And yet, we get a powerful glimpse of who this person is. Someone assailed from all all sides, battered, and and I love this image that they use, like a leaning wall, a tottering fence. Growing up in Oregon, there's a lot of old wood fences that have gone rotten from all the rain, and they're especially prevalent near schoolyards, where you might find a young man like myself who would push them over for the fun of it. And you know, that's the trouble that we're finding here. The psalmist is identifying with these teetering fences that unnamed enemies attack for the fun of it. Now, it might be hard to put yourself in the psalmist's shoes here. Most of us are not usually physically assaulted, but we have all probably been assailed with words. And it seems like words are actually what the speaker of this psalm is focused on. Later on, they say, they take pleasure in falsehood. What kind of falsehood? Outwardly blessing, but inwardly cursing. Isn't that such an awful experience to be having? To be with people who are two-faced, speaking good words to you, but inwardly they're cursing. Sometimes it just feels so heartless. And actually, as scholar Conrad Schaefer points out, when these enemies inwardly curse in this psalm, they don't use the common expression that's in the book of Psalms, where they say, they say in their heart. It just says they inwardly curse, and therefore Psalm 62 is implying that these people have no heart. They assail a person for the nihilistic pleasure of it. Anyone who's dealt with two-faced people like this can agree, it just feels meaningless, and it makes you feel like a broken wall, ready to be kicked over. So it's no wonder that the psalmist waits alone for God silently in their deepest parts. The person who's praying Psalm 62 is someone that needs safety and protection. They need God to be a fortress, to be a rock, to be a refuge. So after lamenting their situation, the psalmist goes back to their refrain, For God alone my soul waits in silence. But now they make a subtle shift. Where before they were confident in the salvation that was from God, now the psalmist is talking about my hope. My hope is from God. And it occurs to me that hope is an emotion that's hard to have outside of a refuge. We can have it once we get to the fortress. Otherwise, we're kind of on the run, fleeing, leaving the hoping up to God. And sure, we might say, you know, oh, maybe it was hope that was putting one foot in front of the other. But you kind of need to reflect to have hope. And when you're on the run, you can't do that. But when we are in God, when we get to that everlasting fortress that is God... 
we're always able to hope because we're always in that place of refuge because God gives us treasures that cannot be destroyed in this human life. Okay, what do I mean by that? Let's look at verse seven. On God rests my deliverance and my honor. So the psalmist is dealing with someone who's assailing them with curses, who's tarnishing their honor. Our deliverance, which is just nothing other than our salvation, and our honor are both things that we want to take good care of. I hope that you would agree with that. But in human hands, our salvation and our honor, it's easily messed up. To place them in God's care, the scholar Eric Zenger will say, means that they cannot be derided. They're in the hands of the Almighty, the everlasting hands. And so they're always safe, always able to be cared for. So at this point, we might be wondering, that sounds pretty good. How can we get God as a refuge? The psalmist tells us in the next verse, boldly speaking out not to the enemies that have been assailing them, but to the whole world. They say, trust in him at all times. O people, pour out your heart before him. To put it theologically, God becomes our refuge through a faith relationship. When we can trust God to pour out our hearts before him in faith, we have found God as a refuge. This is not a small thing. The psalmist has been hurt by people. Then when you're hurt by people, especially people that have spoken poorly of you behind your back, you have had your trust violated. And once you've had your trust violated, it's hard to trust anybody, including God. And so think of how profound it is that the speaker of Psalm 62, who's been in the thick of the gossip circles, who's had so many hurtful words thrown their way, can say, keep your heart out there. Keep pouring it out. Don't wall yourself up. Be that tottering fence that you are. Be vulnerable and wait silently alone for God. Pour your heart out to God. That is vulnerability, and that vulnerability is a sign of God's healing grace. In fact, it's not just a sign of God's healing grace. It's a sign of the wisdom of God. At this point, Psalm 62 shifts from prayers of confidence of God and prayers of lament in their bad situation to sharing the wisdom that God has given them in this situation. Which brings me to my first textual remark of this episode. So, so far, I've been following the language of the NRSV because it does a good job. However, in verse 9, it, it makes a choice that personally I just don't understand. So, to translate the Hebrew in a very wooden way, what we have here is, Breath are the sons of Adam, delusion are the sons of man. Now, the NRSV says, Exalted ones are a breath. The lower ones are a delusion. Maybe I've just messed that up, but that's the basic gift, right? There's the upper people and the lower people. Now, poetically, what the psalmist is doing is using parallelism to say the same thing in another way. To say the sons of Adam, who's Adam? He was the first man, so the, the sons of everybody, all humans. And then delusion are the sons of man, which is, you know, Adam and Ish, the two Hebrew words that are assigned to Adam and also to kind of all humanity. So it's true that both the higher and the lower people are breath and delusion because all people are sons of Adam and all people are sons of man. So 
the NRSV isn't wrong, but, but but the point is of of this remark is to get us to something that's kind of like what we hear in the book of Ecclesiastes. All people are vanity. So we shouldn't worry about riches. We shouldn't worry about trying to get wealth. We shouldn't rob people and extort people because it's all a delusion anyway. We're speaking that profound wisdom. And so what we are hearing from the psalmist isn't just personal wisdom that one picks up from living life. This is wisdom that is characteristic of the person of wisdom. The person that we see in books of the Bible, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, the wisdom of Solomon. The psalmist speaks about the wisdom of God that they've heard from God. In fact, they make it very clear in this next line. Once God has spoken, twice have I heard this, that power belongs to God and steadfast love belongs to you, O Lord. This verse is profound for a couple of reasons. Now, modern scholarship will point out that, again, we just have some more parallelism. Once God has spoken, twice have I heard this. That's just a stepwise move to emphasize what God is about to say and the message that we've heard. However, Luther draws out a couple lessons from just this little half of the verse. First of all, Luther will say, God isn't double-tongued like the antagonists of this psalm. But secondly, and this is where he gets to a more theological point, God only ever speaks one word. Luther will write, All the words of God are one, simple, identical, and true, because they all aim at one thing, no matter how many words there may be. And all words that aim at one thing are one word. And for Luther, that one word that God speaks is nothing other than the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is fitting for this final part of our psalm. The gospel, according to St. Paul in Romans, is the power of God. And as any Old Testament scholar will tell you, that the gospel of Jesus Christ is a testament that God has kept his steadfast love alive for us. So when when the psalmist is saying, once God has spoken, twice have I heard that power belongs to God and steadfast love belongs to you, O Lord, we're seeing that very same gospel message being proclaimed here in the Psalms. The power of the gospel and the truth of God's steadfast love. So what we're hearing from this word, this word that both the psalmist speaks and, and what Luther will say, is the power that gives hope the kindness that is our refuge, the wisdom that we speak. The word of God is so multivalent. It has so much to say. And in fact, the final line of this psalm shows us how God's word can say two things. And it's a troubling line. You repay all according to their work. This is such a troubling line that even the great Rabbi Rashi was troubled when he read it. And when he interpreted it, he softened it. He said, God has the power to repay all according to their works. You know, if God so chooses, God could do that. And that's true enough. God is free to do whatever God wants to do. But the idea that God repays us according to our works may be a scary thought because it's one that is a total law. And who could ever measure up in that rubric? Who could live up to this law? But in the context of this psalm specifically, you can probably hear how this might sound like good news. 
If you've been assailed by people who are lying to your face, and the only place you can find refuge is in God, it might actually comfort you to hear that God will give everyone their just desserts. It means your enemies are going to eventually get justice. And this notion of justice might feel a little foreign to us as modern people. These days, we often prefer what you might call a restorative justice, not a justice of retribution, which is what the psalm seems to illustrate. But for many, the idea of punishment, it just feels unjust. And so when we hear about God paying us according to our just desserts, it doesn't sound good. It sounds mean and evil. But for the people of the Bible, it's not only just, it might actually be wise. But of course, the good news is that God doesn't treat us according to our works. God makes foolish the wisdom that we might have, like our ancestors in the faith might have had. And instead, God elevates a different kind of wisdom, the wisdom that we see in Jesus Christ, because God repays us according to Christ's work. Which leads us back to the major theme of this episode. Who is praying Psalm 62? It's said to be a psalm of David, and that seems to make sense. Multiple stories in David's life would actually fit this psalm, because David needed a lot of refuge in his life. One of the things that I think about is David's son Absalom rebelled against him, tried to take the throne from him, which would be heartbreaking in its own right. But not only that, he also discovered that his own counselor, Ahithophel, also betrayed him to go work for Absalom. So to be betrayed by both your own child and your counselor would make anyone feel like a leaning wall, would make anyone say something so paranoid as outwardly they bless, but inwardly they curse. But besides the historical person of David, we've also seen that the one who prays Psalm 62 is someone who has a complete confidence in God, but also has the wisdom of God, which leads me to hear Christ praying this psalm. Because maybe he prayed it in one of his times alone on the mountaintop. He often liked to go to the mountain to pray. And maybe when the Jerusalem elite were planning to kill him, he took some time away. And maybe he read this psalm. Or maybe it was part of his prayers in Gethsemane. But either way, you can imagine that Jesus is an avid reader of this psalm, not only because Jesus has this confidence in God, but because Jesus' own teaching kind of reflects the theology of Psalm 62. Eric Zanger points out that verse 10, if riches increase, do not set your heart on them. That's what Psalm 62 verse 10 is. That could very well be a psalmic backdrop to Christ's amazing wisdom teaching in Matthew 6. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So what can we learn about prayer from Psalm 62? The first lesson might be kind of obvious, but we need to find silence in our lives. Our lives are noisy. You may be like me and you fill a lot of your quiet time with podcasts or music or YouTube videos. Now, of course, you, you absolutely need to listen to podcasts, especially this one. I mean, come on, that's just a requirement. But maybe before you do that, Find a little bit of quiet. Because finding silence is a way of entering into prayer, especially if we can find that deep silence within ourselves. Waiting for God in silence can be a powerful prayer on its own right, even before you get to the words. And it might not even have you get to words at all. 
But the point of that silence and the primary lesson that we get from Psalm 62, at least when it comes to prayer, is that prayer is about finding refuge in God. God is a rock of ages, cleft for us. God is a place into which we can hide and find protection. The gift of prayer is that we can find refuge in God anywhere we go. We don't have to be in a temple or a sacred grotto. As Jesus said in his Sermon on the Mount, all we have to do is go into our inner rooms, which is just a room that we can find a little quiet in, and pray to our Father who is in secret. Now I want to pause for a moment. All right, let's name a hard truth here. Many of us can't take a moment to find quiet. It might be the nature of our work or maybe that we have families, but sometimes it's just hard to find a quiet space. And while we might enjoy prayer in a quiet room a whole lot more, God can be our refuge in a noisy room too. The silence that we find ourselves in is a silence of the soul. And it's in that soul silence that we wait for God, that interior place that we go that might not reflect the condition of our world. That place we go to is the place that we can go and pour out our hearts. Just as the psalmist said, pour out your hearts. Trusting in God and finding refuge in him is not some kind of stoic act, people. It's an act of honesty and communication. And one of the challenges of prayer that we get in this psalm is that we can't harden our hearts. Because when we harden our hearts, it feels protective. But true protection comes when we open our hearts to God, who will give us deliverance and who will always honor us. Our protection comes from God. So we continue to pour out, even when we feel like we should hold it all in. Because here's the thing about finding refuge in God. The refuge God gives is for this life. We often are tempted to picture God taking us out of the the world, out of our life. That's why we like sanctuaries and beautiful places, quiet places that we can go to. It feels like we're leaving the world, but God is always trying to help us come back to it come back to this world that God so loved that he gave his only son for it. And so you may feel like a teetering fence that needs to be saved because you're about to fall down. But what we find in Psalm 62 is a more important lesson, that God is a refuge and he is a refuge for us to go back into the world with wisdom. Yeah, this psalm has this image of waiting for God in silence, but it ends with someone proclaiming to all people, trust in God. People are but a breath. God is going to give everyone their just desserts. Prayer can be an escape, but it's an escape in the same way that a water slide is an escape. You climb up the ladder of the water slide. You climb as high as heaven. But the whole point is to come back down. And God shoots us down through prayer into the splash pool of life. Psalm 62 is a prayer of confidence. It's a prayer of trust in God. And let me tell you, it's not some kind of spiritual vitamin that we can quickly consume. As you pray this psalm, you enter into the very prayer life of Jesus Christ, who found refuge in God despite being surrounded by dishonest people, despite being assailed from all sides. 
And even though he went through that, he still boldly spoke God's wisdom into the world. And so Luther summarizes this psalm and all of that wisdom that we are also called to proclaim. And that's this. Trust God and do wrong to no one who stands before God or men. Let's pray. Father, we've been waiting for you. In the chaos of our lives, we need you. People hate us. They lie to our faces. And we are in the midst of this sinful world. Protect us, keep us honorable, and help us to speak a word of wisdom that you need your people to hear, because we are all just a breath, O God. And make us like your son Jesus, who by ascending to your heavenly throne did not escape this world, but dove deeper into it, so that we may be fully present no matter what our circumstances are. We ask this in Christ's strong and protective name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to the Psalmcast. If you want to learn more about us, check us out on our website, psalms.blog. And I hope that you will find us again wherever you get your podcasts. Please rate and review if you can. It really does help us in the algorithm. And thank you so much for listening. God bless you. Until we meet again.